1: Everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburgh Podcast. I am Garrett Behanna joining me once again this week, fellow Pennsburg writer Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how are you doing? I'm doing
0: great, Garrett. Uh, another good week. Uh, got the Pens back tonight. as uh, a little bit here before we record as we record a little bit before the game, so good to have him back.
1: Well, Robbie, this has been an episode that I'm sure uh, many Pennsburg Podcast listeners, uh, many visitors to Pensburg's website have wanted for quite some time now with the NHL's 2021 trade deadline in the books. And we will get to uh, some of the action regarding the NHL's trade deadline and some of the action that the Penguins got into on deadline day uh, momentarily, but as we start every episode of the podcast, we will run through the last couple of games the Penguins have played, starting with the game on April 8th against the New York Rangers, a game in which the Penguins would win by the score of 5-2, to two, improving the Penguins to 25-13-2, and uh, let's get the scoring going here. R- Redeem Zahorna gets his second goal of the season here at the 6:26 mark of the first period. Pittsburgh is out to a one nothing lead. That would be all of the scoring you'd see in the first period. Uh, More scoring to take place into the second period. Colin Blackwell finds the equalizer for the New York Rangers just two minutes into the second period on the power play. The game is tied with one goal apiece. Chris Letang gives the Penguins a 2-1 lead at the 3.23 mark of the second period, his second or seventh goal excuse me seventh goal of the season for chris Latang. evan rodriguez on the power play at the midway point of the second period gives the penguins a two-goal lead they lead by a score of three to one heading into the third period now jason zucker finds his name on the score sheet gets his sixth goal of the season at the midway point of the third period pittsburgh out to a four to one lead Kevin Rooney answers back for the Rangers at the 1348 mark of the third period. He makes it a two-goal lead once again. Pittsburgh still leading by a score of four to two. However, Mark Jankowski would put the final nail in the coffin here, getting his fourth goal of the season. Pittsburgh wins by a score of five to two. And Robbie, the theme that you're going to see throughout these games, uh, these couple of games that we recap here, is that Pittsburgh is doing what we obviously expect them to do at this point in the season. They are very much taking control of these games. And they're they're doing what they have to do. They're racking up points against lower competition in the Eastern Division. They finish this game with 32 shots on goal, winning 59% of their faceoffs. They go one for four on the power play. They lead in the hits category, 22 to 19. Uh, They have fewer giveaways than the Rangers do. The Penguins have five giveaways compared to the Rangers' 12. Uh, They win win the game, like I said, by a score of 5-2. This is basically, Robbie, what you want to see the Penguins doing with a little under a month to go before the regular season comes to a close. So with that, I'll pass it along to you so you can give your thoughts on what you saw from the Penguins and Rangers from April 8th.
0: Yeah, this was not only just a big win cuz they're all big wins, but this was coming off consecutive losses to Boston uh, and the Rangers uh two nights earlier. So, getting back in the win column and doing it in a relatively decisive fashion against a um team that uh, an inferior team in the Rangers um is it it's a big step. It was a big moment for the Penguins. Um you had the depth scoring, you had Zahorna getting his that goal in the first, a really nice goal. Um big power move for a big guy, but it's really the kind of game that you just want the Penguins to play, because if you play games like that, more often than not, you're going to win. Uh, they didn't. They played a very good game the uh, two nights before that when they got blown out by the Rangers, but everything the Rangers were putting on net seemed to be bouncing off someone and going in. But the Penguins still overall played a pretty decent game that night, and this is what's going to happen when you play games like that uh, on a more consistent basis. Eventually, uh, the bounces aren't going to go the opposite way. They're going to go your way. And you're gonna you're gonna get the wins more often than not. And that's what happened against the Rangers that night. And it was a big win to get back in the um win column, kind of stem the bleeding, and put them back on track uh, going into the weekend.
1: One night later, on April 9th, the Penguins would do battle with the New Jersey Devils, and this was another game that the Penguins would win. They win this game six to four over the New Jersey Devils. This was a very, very back and forth game. And Robbie, I have to be honest with you, recalling this game, I, I was a little bit, little bit nervous watching, especially towards the end of this contest. So uh, let's get the scoring summary out of the way. Miles Wood gets the scoring going for the New Jersey Devils. His 12th goal of the season at, at the 3 0 mark of the first period, New Jersey leads by a score of one to nothing. right at the 10-minute mark, the midway point of the first period. Jared McCann on the power play gets his 11th goal of the season, the equalizer for the Penguins. They... They, uh, they tie the Devils one-to-one and Brian Dumoulin with about 45 seconds to go at the end of the first period gets his second goal of the season and Pittsburgh takes a two-to-one lead into the second period of play. And moving now into the second period, Jack Hughes finds the, the the second equalizer for the Devils here, gets his ninth goal of the season at the 539 mark. Colton Sevier gets his third goal of the season at the 1736 mark, and he gives the Penguins another lead, heading into the second intermission. Pittsburgh up by a score of 3-2 to two now. Heading into the third period now, Brian Rust on the power play, four minutes into the third period. Pittsburgh out to a two-goal two advantage, leading by a score of 4-2. to Sidney Crosby would give the Penguins a three-goal lead, getting his 16th goal of the season at the 10 2 mark of the third period of play. And this is where the New Jersey Devils, being down by three goals at this point, they would certainly claw back here. Jesper Boquist getting his second goal of the season. And at the 11 1130, 11:34 mark of the third period, cutting the lead down to a two goal advantage for the Penguins. They still lead by a score of five to three miles Wood getting his second goal of the game at the 1824 mark. Pittsburgh only leads by a goal. Now they still lead the game five to four. However, it was Brian rust getting the empty netter, his 16th goal of the campaign at the 1935 mark. Pittsburgh wins by a score of six to four. And Robbie looking at this game, uh, Obviously, like I had uh, prefaced the recap segment, the Penguins are doing what they have to do, beating the inferior competition. Uh, but this this is one of those games, Robbie, that it just goes to show that there are no off nights in the NHL. And there, even though there may be lesser quality opposition that the Penguins may face, that doesn't mean that the opposition is just going to lie down and let the Penguins take the two points. Uh, I remember listening to Bob Airy on the uh, telecast, and he was he kept saying in the third period that this New Jersey Devils team did not have any ounce of quit in them. And it certainly showed on the score sheet. So Robbie, I'll hand it over to you so you can give your thoughts on what you saw from the April 9th contest between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New Jersey Devils.
0: I have to agree a lot with what uh, Bob Aries said there, because these teams, they're still professionals at the end of the day, every player is still professional. They're still getting paid to be out there. They're doing a job. And at this point in the season, these teams that are probably out of the picture or on their way out of the playoff picture, they're going to want to play spoiler. They're going to want to take something into the off season, some momentum, uh, maybe some bragging rights. Uh, They're going to want to try to spoil your season uh, any way possible. So they're going to play uh, from horn to horn every night. They're not going to give you anything. Even the um, Sabres who have had one heck of a year, they're going to give you, they're going to give you their best every night. And, the Penguins' talent on most nights is going to be enough to overcome uh, whatever's thrown at them against these inferior opponents. But some nights you're going to get caught off guard, and it's going to go the other way. But Friday night, uh, Jersey fought to the bitter end. They they kept pushing. They were down five to what was it five to two? They got two goals there late in the third, made it interesting to the point where the Penguins had to ice it with an empty net goal. So uh, again, another win. You. Anytime you get a win, especially on the road, you take it, And but it just goes to show you how hard every game is, uh, especially in a shortened season, and especially now that we get down to the home stretch as we head to the playoffs, these teams that are on the outside looking in are going to be playing or attempting to play spoiler as much as possible, so you've got to be ready for anything
1: and the penguins would conclude their this two game set against the devils on april 11th and this would be a game where the devils didn't pose as big of a threat as they did in the game prior the penguins win this game also by a score of 5 to 2 and uh, colton sebior was the 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 talking point in this game because uh, he had just been waived if i recall correctly he had been put on waivers And he goes unclaimed, comes into the next game, this game against the Devils, and he scores two consecutive goals to give the Penguins an early, uh, early two-goal advantage in the first period. So uh, he gives the Penguins the one nothing lead at the 2.35 mark, and he gives the Penguins a 2 nothing lead at the 5.26 mark of the first period. Pittsburgh out to that two-goal lead, like I mentioned. Miles Wood, however, would get the Devils on the score sheet, cutting the lead to just one goal for the Penguins with three minutes to go uh, before the conclusion of the first period. Into the second period now, Jake Gensel gets his uh, 18th goal of the season at the 9. 19- 1920 mark right as the second period was about to wrap up Pittsburgh heads into the second intermission with a two goal lead into the third period now Jake Gensel on the power play is credited with uh, another power play point for him his 19th goal of the season Pittsburgh is up uh, by a score of four to one now. Uh just as the third period gets underway, PK Subban gets his fourth goal of the season. At the 7:30 mark, Pittsburgh still leads by a score of 4 to 2 and Jake Cancel at the 18:37 mark would complete his hat trick. Pittsburgh wins this game by a score of 5 to 2. Uh Robbie, like I had mentioned, uh this game did not prove to be as challenging or difficult uh against this devil squad as it was the previous game that these two teams met. Uh, but like I had mentioned at the start, the Penguins take all three of these games. They get three out of three wins, uh, when looking at these three contests in particular, and they're doing exactly what we expect them to do with less than 15 games remaining, uh, until the conclusion of the regular season.
0: Yeah. And they're doing it injured still. You got guys still going down. Frederick Goudreau now out week to week with an injury. You Brandon Tana, we know will not probably will not be back before the beginning of the playoffs. Malk and Kapanen are still out, uh, so you still they're still fighting through injuries as they do this, which makes it impressive. Regardless if it's against the Devils, Sabers, or teams like Boston or Washington, uh, they just keep getting the job done, and that's really all you can do. I mean, you have uh, another week coming up here, beginning tonight, a uh, little after we reco- we finish recording this. You have another stretch of games against teams that you got to beat. Uh, you should beat and. It starts tonight with Philadelphia and runs all the way through the week. So, uh, they're they're just doing what they have to do. And that's all you really can do. Um, you had Washington and the Islanders uh, doing this exact same thing earlier in the season when they were getting these kind of stretches, and that's what the Penguins are doing now. And and that's the Rangers are not playing bad hockey. Uh, that's I, I know that's going back to the earlier in the episode here, but uh, the Devils. I mean, they're going to fight. The Devils are always going to give you problems. Uh, the Devils do have some talent. They can cause problems. Uh, and for a team that's as bad as the Penguins, uh, taking six out of a possible six points out of these games without giving any points away is just a huge bonus uh, heading into this last four or five weeks of the season here. So as they keep they keep stacking points, and it's going to make, uh, instead of pushing for that fourth spot, they're going to be pushing for that first spot in the East Division.
1: Certainly, Robbie, uh, certainly the, the, the quest for the division title is not out of reach for the penguins as things stand. And they could end up fighting for that division title with a reformed lineup. As, as you alluded to, these penguins are still battered and they were able to get a singular reinforcement here. As we, uh, as we move into the, the main segment here of the podcast, this is, like I said, at the top of the show what I'm sure many Penguins fans were were hoping to see, and that was activity on the NHL's trading deadline day. And so, as, as I mentioned before, the trading deadline has come and gone. The Penguins make a singular transaction, acquiring longtime Los Angeles Kings forward Jeff Carter In in a deal for a couple of conditional draft picks, sending over to Los Angeles. Uh, This story, Robbie, comes with a couple of different layers. Jeff Carter is a player that current Penguins general manager Ron Hextall knows quite well. Uh, The Penguins accomplished what they set out to do, and that was acquire a bigger, more physical forward. They obviously get that in Jeff Carter. They get the experience that comes with Carter. They get position versatility that comes with Carter. He knows how to play center, and he can play on the right wing. Uh, They get a proven winner and a champion with two Stanley Cups to Jeff Carter's resume. So uh, I I know when this deal was announced, uh, initially when it was revealed that Jeff Carter would be heading to Pittsburgh. Uh, there were a couple of people that I saw that kind of bemoaned this deal and thought, okay, Jeff Carter is a 36 year old forward. He's certainly not the player he was five, 10 years ago. What is he going to, what is a 36 year old forward going to bring to this team? And Uh, judging about everything that I just mentioned here, position versatility, a veteran presence in that bottom six, Robbie, I don't know about you, but I haven't asked you personally what you thought about the Jeff Carter deal, but I personally have no qualms with it. I think the Penguins, like I said, set out to do what they wanted to do, acquire a physical presence for that bottom six. And to get the added bonus of that position versatility that Jeff Carter brings playing the wing or playing center. There are there are a lot of things that I think the Penguins can take with Jeff Carter and they can certainly find success with him moving forward. So I'll pass it over to you so you can give your thoughts on what you thought of the Penguins' deadline day transaction acquiring Jeff Carter.
0: I think what was most surprising about the trade is Jeff Carter wasn't a name that you ever heard surrounding the Penguins uh, before the deal was made. You'd heard some other guys, you had the... Uh, Nick Delorier rumor earlier in the day that looked like he was coming from Anaheim, never uh, came to be. But Carter kind of came out of nowhere. And then you find out, uh, I think Ron Burke said the next day that Ron Hextall had planted the Jeff Carter seed uh, about a month ago, which knowing Hextall's work with the Kings, it all kind of makes sense of why uh, they ended up making the deal. And you got him for two conditional draft picks, none of the I, I, the conditions aren't anything they could possibly be met, uh, but your better your best bets are probably not going to be met, and at the worst you're giving away a second round pick, uh, in 2022. So it's not uh, the end of the world. Uh, that way you didn't give up any prospects. Um, the Kings retain salary. So overall, it just it's a move that makes sense when you look at the bigger picture of what the Penguins wanted to do, they weren't going to go out and make a big, they weren't going to make a Jason Zucker type trade this year. Just wasn't going to happen. You didn't really have, you didn't really have, you had maybe one or two bigger names going, but Carter is a proven winner. He has the leadership capabilities. He's played in big games. He provides depth. He can play multiple positions for what the Penguins need and what they kind of signal that they're going to be mostly healthy by the time the playoffs come. This move makes a ton of sense in that context. And Carter is not the player he was even two or three years ago, but he doesn't need to be the player he was two or three years ago. He doesn't need to be the player he was when the Kings were winning cups back in 2012 and 2014. That's just not who they need Jeff Carter to be. And that's fine because they have plenty of firepower when everybody's healthy that they can make up for Jeff Carter not scoring a 30-gold pace anymore. That's fine. But Jeff Carter has been a scorer since he came into the league. He has been productive. He's won. And he just fits into what the Penguins are looking to do this year. And potentially, like I mentioned in past episodes, this could be something that we are even talking about next season.
1: Robbie, just to add on to that, you had mentioned earlier in the point that you were making that the Penguins certainly were not going to go out and make a Jason Zucker type transaction. Uh, there seemed to be a theme when looking at this year's trade deadline and the anticipation leading up to this deadline that this year's trade deadline would be different from years past, given all of the different kind of uh, you know the different things that the league had set out. Obviously, the the, the league is has basically created four different bubbles. For uh, for its teams as they try to continue this season throughout the what hopes to be the end of the coronavirus pandemic here in North America at least. But here's a little bit here here's a little nugget that I ended up digging up from pro hockey rumors. The 2021 NHL trade deadline came and went without. You know relatively little fanfare. Deadline day itself just saw 17 trades made, which can be attributed to a new eight year low that involved only 26 players. That itself being a 20 year low, so not a lot of players were being shifted around the league due to basically the league basically creating four little micro bubbles that these divisions are playing in. You have the all Canada the uh, the all Canada division, the Eastern division, the Western division, and the South division, and uh, most teams were probably I don't know if, if hesitancy was a main factor in making these trades with all of the the quarantine rules and things like that uh and, and you know the uncertainty that comes with traveling from one division to another division there are certainly a a lot more uh, hurdles to jump through this year than there have been in years past so uh Robbie I don't know if you I mean I don't know if you want to provide any other insight to the, the that little nugget that I just ended up seeing on On pro hockey rumors, again, not a lot of bodies being traded. We knew specifically that the Penguins were not going to go and make some extravagant, uh, top six level, big blockbuster trade. That was never going to be the case. They acquire Jeff Carter, like you. And like you said, Robbie too, and, uh, you had been, you had been talking about this for several weeks and it was one thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, as well, before we move into the mailbag segment, uh, that being that Jeff Carter's deal, his 10 year contract that he signed runs through the end of next season. And, uh, with the salary that's being retained by the Los Angeles Kings, I believe his cap hit for the Pittsburgh Penguins is 2.6 or 2.7 million roughly in that neighborhood. There were rumblings from a few media pundits that Carter could potentially retire after uh, after this season, after the playoffs conclude. However, it looks like that rumor has been squashed by Carter himself. It looks like, as things stand currently, Carter does have intentions to come back and play next year. Looking into the future here, obviously this is something that you had said. If the Penguins can acquire a player, you'd like them to acquire a player that can help them in the short term and the long term. We don't know Jeff Carter personally. We don't know his thought process, things that he's thinking now and regards to his career could look differently three months from now, six months from now, nine months from now, maybe he does retire. Who knows? But do you think Jeff Carter at 36, 37 years old could still be an effective player given the cap hit that he has 2.6 million for next year's penguin squad?
0: I think in the right situation, he can definitely be effective and it's all going to depend on how the penguins deploy him, how they use him in the lineup, what Mike Sullivan's plans are. So I mean it's gonna be a wait and see kind of thing with that because if they win the cup, who knows? Maybe he decides I'm going out on top. I'm done. I've won three cups. Uh, I'm just gonna hang them up. Then if they get close, maybe he said, "Hey, let's see if we can gear up for one more run with this team." And the Penguins, I I mean the Penguins could move them. It's tough to. It's really hard to say because there's just so much, so much we don't know. And again, it's so far down the road. You don't know with stuff like expansion drafts and just what kind of trades may pop up, what opportunities a trade may pop up around the draft. Again, COVID's still possibly going to be in play there at some point. So it's all going to depend on what the penguins see from him. Maybe he comes out and he may be just very effective and he's exactly what the penguins need to kind of take that next step and they make a deep run. Maybe they win it all. And he's just, kind of says, I'm happy with that. Or it's just, they make the conference finals, the final four. And he decides that he wants to, with that one year left, if the Penguins can work it out, he wants to take one more run with this group of guys. So it's all, the future of Jeff Carter isn't something that we need to dwell on right now. um, Because there's so many, so many possible ways that it can play out yet. So many possible scenarios that could take place that, Affect his decision one way or another. So um, for right now, I don't think you can hate the trade. I think it's exactly what the Penguins were is gunning for. And as for the future, it's just a wait and see. Let's see how this season plays out first.
1: It'll be something to watch. Uh, certainly something that we can obviously kick the can down the road and address it when that time comes. But, Robbie, we will switch gears now and transition into our mailbag segment. And if you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, you're interested in participating in this mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week, we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. We love getting all of your Uh, all of your listener questions in. We love answering every single one of them. We appreciate uh, you reaching out and interacting with us, as this is certainly one one of the better parts of my job hosting this podcast with you, Robbie, is answering all of these fun questions. So, Robbie, like always, we'll get the mailbag started. You get the first question here. This week's question number one comes from Commander Kern, and he asks this help settle a household debate. I say the Capitals are our true rival. My wife thinks it's the Flyers. Do you think the old Philly rivalry is overshadowed by the epic Caps-Pens matchups of this generation?
0: I think a lot of this, the answer to this question depends on your generation and how long you've been watching the Penguins. Because prior to the 90s, the early nineties, the Penguins and Capitals really had absolutely no, uh, no history. they I mean, they played each other. No playoff history, no interdivision history. Really, uh, they did have inter, but not to the point where like it is now. So you don't really have, and you didn't have. Cro- or Cro- Lemieux and Cicerelli weren't like built as like Crosby or Ovechkin. So that you kind of have to. It's kind of a generational thing. Uh, for me, it's always going to be the Flyers, uh, and in a way, I'd even put, and I think a lot of. Older Penguin fans would agree with me. I think you have to put the Rangers in this discussion too. Because there is some bad, bad blood between the Penguins and Rangers over the years. Uh, Even predating those three recent playoff matchups. You're getting back into the 90s with Messier. The Graves incident with Lemieux. Richter, Van Beesbroek. You had very hard fought playoff matchups with the Rangers. And a lot of hate came out of those matchups. So in my opinion, it's the true rivals, the Flyers, because you had the history. They came into the league in the same year. The Flyers found almost immediate success. They dominated the Penguins uh, through the 80s until the Penguins got Lemieux and finally broke through with the spectrum, uh, getting that win after years of not being able to win there. And then it may have cooled down a little bit in the 90s when the Penguins were winning. The Flyers weren't quite as good. Uh, But it just always, when those two teams met, it always was fiery. You had Lemieux uh, scoring his final goal the first time around against uh, the Flyers. You had Crosby and Giroux. You had those epic playoff series uh, in the early Crosby years, and they popped up again later down the line. You had Mike Richards and can't forget him. Jeff Carter was a much hated figure in Pittsburgh long before he ever went to the Kings uh, and then came to the Penguins. Uh, those teams, those Richards and Carter teams, um, those just, it just, it seems like every time, even tonight, the Flyers not great this year, but man, you really want to win these games when you play them, whether or not one team's bad, the other team's good, both teams are bad, both teams, you just want to win these games. The Capitals. A lot of the capital stuff comes out of one playoff matchups, which, yeah, they've met in the playoffs, like, I forget what. It was, like, 11 times since 1991 or something like that. Maybe it's 10 times. Uh, you ha- And then a lot of it's built all around Crosby and Ovechkin. It has been since 2005 when they both came in the league together. And nothing has changed. So, all in all, I, if, in my opinion, it's Fires 1. I'm going to say, just for my – just – from growing up rangers two, capitals three and there's a lot of other rivalries too like boston the islanders the devils there's a lot of good history there uh that you can't really totally discount them but if you're going to between the capitals and flyers i just think the flyer it has to be the flyers as your top build rival and i think that's a two-way street all right question number two comes from battle on the boards podcast what is your expectation for Carter in terms of his his in- his of his impact and his output?
1: A lot of fans are going to be very intrigued because this is a brand new player in a brand new setting. A lot of fans have wanted the Penguins to make a trade. They do. They get Jeff Carter. We have described Jeff Carter quite a bit in this episode of the podcast already. At 36 years old, Jeff Carter is still still a perfect, an NHL level skater. I don't know Robbie if his hands are what they were compared to the Jeff Carter of five or 10 years ago. So looking at his 2020, 2021 statistics, he has 19 points, eight goals and 19 points in 40 games played. He had 27 points in 60 games played last year, 33 points in 76 games in the 2018-19 season. He almost registered a point per game in 2017-18. He only it was only limited to 27 games played, but he had 22 uh, 22 points in those 27 games played. And you'd have to go back to 2016-17 in his age 32 season. He played a full 82 game set and finished with 66 points and 32 goals. So you can pretty clearly see a decline here and you know, maybe that's related to the age, the aging curve of Jeff Carter, but Carter in his short stint with the penguins has been seen centering the second line. I think when Evgeny Malkin comes back, Carter is almost assuredly going to be put into that bottom six. So, I'm not expecting a world-beating performance from Jeff Carter points-wise. Uh, you know, looking at his possession metrics, too, he, he certainly strikes me career-wise as a positive possession player in, tor- in terms of his even-strength Corsi and Fenwick outputs. I think you're getting an all-around solid player here. Definitely not the player that you you expected, like I said, five or ten years ago, and I think, Robbie, you would agree with me there, but yeah. um, how many games are left in the regular season? 15? 14. 14 14 14. so i don't know what would you consider quality output for a 36 year old jeff carter given there's 14 games left
0: well for one i'm gonna focus more on what he can do in the playoffs so he just came over on monday he's had what they didn't practice Tuesday. they tuesday was off ice workouts Wednesday, so he had one full day of practice and again he's a pro he's gonna be able to step in and do whatever they ask blah 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 you still have to learn the system it's a wildly different system than what L.A. Uh, ran. Mike Sullivan's system is a heavy four-check system. Uh, it's fast. So it's a completely different system. One, and I'm going to judge him more on what he does once he's in a more solidified role when everybody comes back. But for now, I just want him to... Show up and give depth. You don't need to go out there. You don't need to be Jeff Carter from 2012. You don't need to be Jeff Carter from even three years ago where he posted um, however many points uh, you said there in that one. His last major productive season in 2016, 2017, he had 66 points in 82 games. Um, uh, So you don't don't need to be that Jeff Carter. You need to be a, if he's a third-line center, play like a third-line center. Get on the puck. Get on the forecheck. Control possession, get zone time, draw some penalties, and hey, when the scoring comes, that's great. Uh, so you can't, and you just have to kind of go in with a a mindset of one, he's gonna take time to get used to the system, so don't expect him. And it's only gonna have 14 games. I'm gonna judge him more based on what happens in the playoff time. Uh, if he completely disappears, then hey, it was a bust. But if he comes in there and he can provide the depth some scoring, some good possession, then that's what I'm more looking for is that he can help drive play rather than be a world-beating offensive force like he was 5 years ago.
1: All right, question number 3 for you comes from Brendan. Rank 1 through 4 the top 4 teams in the East based on their deadline their trade deadline acquisitions. Which team improved their chances the most and the least?
0: So, this is a really good question because one, all four of the top, all four of these teams, that's the Washington Capitals, New York Islanders, Penguins, and Boston Bruins, all did a lot to help their cause. There's no denying that. I hate to say it, but the move I love the most, and the move I'm going to put at number one, is is Anthony Mantha going to Washington. Well, I understand Washington did go up a lot. It seemed like every game the Penguins played against the Capitals, Jacob Vrana scored against them. He is super fast. So getting him out of there might be good, but Anthony Mantha fits in what they're tr- what Peter Laviolette is trying to do so well. He's a big body. He can play both ends of the ice, up and down the ice. He has a 200 foot game, I re- for Washington, and he's cheap and he's has term, so he's going to be there. He's going to be a pain for the Penguins in the future. I just I know they gave up a lot, and really, the Red Wings got the better assets out of the deal but the Capitals got the best player out of the deal. And you have to look at that, especially for an aging team like the Capitals that wants to win a cup now. So that is, that is my number one, just because it it just fits what they're going to do so well. It was, it's probably the most expensive out of all the deals, but overall it was maybe the best fit from what I can tell from what I'm, what I'm saying. Number two just because the price was so low, I don't think this necessarily helps this team make them a Stanley Cup contender because there's still so many other glaring issues, but it's got to be Taylor Hall to the Bruins because I understand Taylor Hall was mightily struggling this year, but anybody who's playing in Buffalo, you have to take that with a bit of a grain of salt because that team is so bad. So the price they paid was basically nothing for Taylor Hall who won an MVP just two or three seasons ago. You don't get former MVPs for a second-round pick and a pending free agent. That just doesn't happen. And like I said, it doesn't make them the prohibitive favorite in the division by any stretch of the means. Still too many questions outstanding about defense and their depth. But Taylor Hall, in the right situation, is going to find a way to be effective. He has too much talent to not be effective. Now, will he resign? Uh, eh, You don't know. The good thing for Boston is, unless he goes on some unreal tear, they're going to be able to negotiate with him at his lowest value. Uh, so that's something you have to keep in mind, too. So i got to put that Taylor Hall move in there. Uh, just It's just such a cost-effective move. It costs them nothing to get even a little bit better. Uh, three, I'm going to put the Islanders moves. Uh, that was bringing in Kyle Palmieri, and I cannot remember the other player's name that they brought Travis
1: over
0: AJ. oh they got zajac well so he'll probably end up scoring some uh backbreaking goal against the penguins in the first <laughs> round or something like that but for the islanders that's again it wasn't a horribly expensive trade the pick is going to be it's not going to be a lottery selection obviously uh for the devils unless yeah i mean the islanders would have to lose like the rest of their games or something like that so it's going to be a low pick who knows how far they go in the playoffs at best it's probably going to be a at best, it's like a 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there in the draft. So again, this isn't the deepest draft coming up. So overall, I, and Palmieri is it not quite the score he was a few years ago? Zajac slowed down a little bit, but their two guys that are gonna come in there. They're gonna play hard. They're gonna fit the Barry Trot system very well. Close checking, and they give you that little bit of extra offense. A part of the, a part of beating the the Islanders is getting. Getting an early lead, and because the Islanders are not necessarily built to come back from a two or three goal lead, and not that Palmieri and Zajac automatically make them comeback machines, but it provides you that extra little bit of offense uh, down the roster that makes one. Maybe you get that early lead, you can extend it a little bit easier, or you can, if you get down early, it's not a death knell in your coffin, especially when you're going to be possibly playing a team like. Pittsburgh or Washington, or I mean, Boston's in there as well in the first round, a team that will find a way to score. So that helps them that way. And then again, I like the Jeff Carter move. I just think out of, if you're comparing these four, it's probably the fourth best in terms of overall, uh, what it's going to do to the team. And again, Carter could come out and score, he could score 10 goals in the final 16 games and prove me completely wrong not what they brought him here for. I just think in terms of flashiness and what it's going to do to the overall team, I just think it's the fourth best move, but it's still a top 10 move uh, as far as we're going across the NHL just because it fit in with what exactly they're doing. They still got a guy that can play hockey um, that fits exactly what they're looking to do. So you can't, it's just because I'm ranking them last in division doesn't mean I'm saying it's a completely awful move. It's just those other three teams may have done a little bit more. All right. Question four comes from Fry Time. How different would this lineup look if G, uh, if Jim Rutherford hadn't quit? You'd have to think he'd have made some moves earlier with all the injuries.
1: Based on Jim Rutherford's prior trade deadline acquisitions and how he operated, uh, and we've talked about this before, I, I definitely think he would have acquired. I think he would have acquired a defenseman. At the very least as insurance and insurance policy, I think he would have acquired a defenseman and I think he would have acquired probably a middle nine forward uh, just to give them more forward depth, just based on what we know, how many players are injured. It's useless to speculate uh, on specific players because we don't know what Jim Rutherford's thinking, who would have been out there at the time. I think at the very least, he would have made two acquisitions, a defenseman and a middle nine forward to help improve the depth. Like you had said earlier, Robbie, I don't know if there would have been a Jason Zucker esque trade this time around, because number one, the Penguins don't have really grade a prospects. I mean, you can look at guys like uh, Sam Poulin and Nathan Legere, and they do have pretty solid upside, but they're not. They haven't been projected to come into the NHL and be immediate world beaters. so if they can come in if those two youngsters can come in, I don't know two or three years from now, I mean, we talked about this earlier a couple of weeks ago too. maybe Legare and Poulin show up on the roster next season as early as next season. but would he would Jim Rutherford have traded one or both of those uh, prospects for uh, a more talented or a more proven forward or defenseman? I don't know. Because the Penguins, their prospect cup is so bare, they uh, are notorious for not having their first round draft picks. They traded away a couple of draft picks, even if they were conditional. They traded away a couple of draft picks to acquire Jeff Carter, which is something that I, I, I personally hold the mindset that the more draft picks you have, the better chance you have of maybe hitting the lottery a little bit and developing a guy like a Jake Gensel or a Matt Murray who was drafted in the third round or the fourth round of the NHL draft. Maybe those guys develop into uh, depth NHL players. But anyway, yes, I, I think the lineup would look a little bit different in terms of getting that, that top nine or bottom six forward to give them more depth. And I think he would have liked to acquire a defenseman as, insu- as like an insurance policy. All right. Uh, question number five. Our last question of the mailbag comes from Jimmy Rixner, our our our, <laughs> our overlord here for Pensburg. Uh, he goes. He goes on to say, anonymous reader, first time mailbag writer asks, who would win in a battle royal of all of the Pennsburg writers?
0: <laughs> oh man, I saw this and I just kind of chuckled to myself when I first when you sent this over last night. Um, hmm. I'm gonna say just off the top of my head i'm gonna say it's mike
1: yeah he he mike does have i think he i'm gonna have say the, it's mike see what are we defining first off what are we defining the battle royal as or like uh is it like uh is it wwe over the top rope battle royal is it winner take all like last man standing like fight to the death kind of thing you know how how personal are we making this battle Royal? Because I can go to some pretty extreme lengths. If like, if the grand prize was like a million dollars, I'd, I'd pull no punches. I love all of you guys. I love everybody I work with, but you know, if uh-huh. I'm taking, if I'm taking home a million dollar purse and a battle Royal, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can. Oh that yeah.
0: Point. I mean, if we're talking big money then you're going to do whatever you can uh, to, to get there and you're going to, you're going to fight like you're going to fight hard and you're going to fight with everything you're going to use every tool in your bag uh to try to win but i mean if we're just doing if it's like an elimination i don't know i again yeah like you said that you need the context but i i like mike just because I, I think i think mike if mike wanted to fight mike could mike could handle
1: he could mike probably could. drop somebody yeah uh, like mike does- could He doesn't look, he doesn't look so intimidating, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he could drop somebody like right where they, right where they stand. Yeah. I, I, I probably,
0: I'd say Mike, Mike would probably be my, my, uh, my guess just because I I think if you got Mike in the right frame of mind and he could throw some haymakers and, and do some damage. uh, What, if he's in that kind of situation.
1: The one advantage that I have compared to, Jimmy, Mike, you, Adam, I think I think the the youth advantage comes into play. I think I am the the youngest writer on the staff. Yeah, so. I
0: definitely think you're the youngest, so you would have a stamina advantage, probably. Yes, probably. But yeah. So I mean, maybe you can if you could wait it out. If you could wait it out till we all get tired, which probably wouldn't take very long. But yeah, it's a good point. You made a good point there.
1: But anyway, thanks for your question, Jimmy. Uh, thanks for us to fantasize a little bit about who would win this crazy battle Royal, but that'll do it for this episode of the Pennsburg podcast. Robbie, uh, we have 14, 14 games left to go in the regular season. Yeah. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. The penguins haven't officially clinched a playoff spot. They're well on their way there. As you mentioned we still, they still have games to play against the Sabres and the devils. So things are looking to be wrapping up here in this home stretch. The trade deadline has finally passed. So we're, we're in this for the long haul. We'll see how things fare and how, you know, playoff seating ends up shaping up, but I'm sure we will be talking about that in a, a later episode sometime down the line. So Robbie, if you have nothing else left to add, we will wrap up this episode of the Pennsburg podcast for Robbie. I have been Garrett Bahanna. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Pennsburg podcast, and we will see you next week.